The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, and today is episode number 70, the big 7-0. And welcome. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying as always. I got to start by being brutally and truthfully honest. It felt so weird to not have a Wednesday episode, and I really appreciate everybody for understanding the latest update to Murph's Boston Sports Talk by cutting Wednesday's episode and just leaving the scheduled programming to Monday and Friday. Thank you so much for the understanding, but I have to admit it does feel a little weird to have a uh, couple extra days in between recordings. Obviously, the weekend length of uh, break, I guess, is the same, you know, being Saturday and Sunday and then coming back on Monday. But just from Tuesday, no Wednesday, and Thursday, those three days, little different than what I've been used to. However, we are back in the studio and we have a lot of stuff to get over or a lot of stuff to go over, I should say, in essence of the Red Sox and their most recent homestand, obviously going 7-0, which has been an absolute stud show. And in addition to that, we do have some trade news to talk about revolving around Major League Baseball. And speaking of Major League Baseball, I also want to touch upon the current state of the sport as we look ahead past 2021. So that may be a little confusing there. However, we can't really look forward unless we consider the now. And then I guess we can't really consider the now unless we look forward. It'll make a lot more sense once we actually get to that topic. But with the MLB CBA agreement expiring at the end of 2021, we could potentially see a lockout in Major League Baseball before the start of the 2022 season. A lot of things are going on between the MLB and the Players Union, as well as those two sides are severely, severely divided. However, I do not want to jump the gun, but I will leave that little tidbit to kind of have a fruit hanging to have you keep listening to the regular scheduled programming. (laughs) Anyways, let's first start off with some serious, serious business, and I don't want to talk too much about it because A, it is not my place, nor B, I want to be respective of privacy, and that is the unfortunate news of David Pasternak and his girlfriend, Rebecca. They unfortunately lost their baby after just a few days after birth. Vigo, 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 I believe is how, I'm not exactly sure how the name is pronounced, But he unfortunately did pass away on the 23rd of June after being welcomed into this world on the 17th of June, which was a Thursday, and he passes away six days later. I do not want to go into the details about it because, like I said, it is not my place, nor I don't want to interrupt their privacy in this very sensitive time. So I just want to send my prayers, my blessings, and my condolences to David and Rebecca as they mourn the loss of their baby boy after just six days here on earth. I don't know the details on what happened, nor do I want to know the details about what happened. I am just very heartbroken, and I feel so bad for David and Rebecca losing their child six days after birth. Uh, That's really, really tough. I could not 
come close to understanding what could be potentially going on in their minds and in their hearts after losing a child that they cared for during pregnancy for nine months and then obviously the six days after he was born. It's... I, I like to have fun on this podcast. I like to joke around, and, but this is just something that I, I cannot do, obviously. So prayers, blessings, and my condolences out to David and Rebecca during their time of mourning, their time of need, and obviously a time of privacy. So bless up, you two. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to come back stronger and move forward with this. I don't know how. I, I honestly don't, but hopefully there is a way for you both to move forward and live your lives with Vigo, Vigo, or Vig, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. Always, always carried on in your hearts for the rest of your lives. So with that out of the way, I do kind of want, it's going to be hard for me to jump right back into it after uh, an upsetting, upsetting first segment right there. So just bear with me as I kind of slowly get myself back into it because this is something that I had to talk about, right? Obviously, it affects David Pasternak and his family, and Pasternak is, of course, a member of the Bruins family, and being a Boston sports podcast, something that I feel like I should at least touch upon. Like I said, I don't want to go too far into it, but I just want to touch upon it. And I guess transitioning to the Red Sox, let's just be blunt about it. The Boston Red Sox had a fantastic weekend slash week as they swept the New York Yankees that we talked about on Monday's episode. And then, of course, they just completed a four-game sweep of the Kansas City Royals on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and completing the sweep yesterday on Thursday. Tremendous series. All seven games, absolute fantastic. The pitching looked really good. The hitting looked really good as well. And this team... I know it's a small sample size, but the team looks like it is ready to seriously be considered a championship contender. They have the best record in the American League, and currently, oh, they have the best record in all of baseball. I did not know that. I thought the Giants had the best record still, but they are 50-30. and 30. However, the Red Sox are 51-31, and 31. so I guess by winning percentage, the Giants have the best best record as they're 0.625 and the Red Sox are 0.622 so theoretically the Red Sox still have the second best record in all of baseball however I guess if you want to count just by wins which a lot of people care about only Red Sox have the best record but technicality they have the second best record but nonetheless Red Sox really played their asses off this weekend oh I guess this past weekend and week playing the Yankees and the Royals getting a good dose of a uh, playoff hopeful Yankees team who's you know no rollover of a competition but I mean maybe the Royals are kind of a rollover type of competitor let's call it that I sat here last week on Murph's Boston Sports Talk I think it was Friday's episode before the Yankees series uh yeah because it was the the game after Nick Pavetta had a no hitter through six and the Red Sox ended up losing that game to the Tampa Bay Rays down in Tampa I guess St. Petersburg won nothing. And I was like, oh, the offense has no consistency. You can't rely on the, the offense to be inconsistent. You can't win games 13 to nothing one day and then lose, you know, 2 nothing the next day or 1 nothing, I guess. And let me just say that this team, over the past seven days, I even brushed upon it on Monday saying how the Yankee series was nice, going, uh, scoring five, four, nine runs respectively, was a nice little rebound. However, it was too small of a sample size to say, Red Sox offense has now been consistent, and they are consistent. They have been able to score in the four games against the Royals. Six runs, seven runs, six runs, and then 15 runs. 15 is kind of a little of an outlier there. However, the runs total is starting to be a little bit consistent. The offense is starting to hit the ball. It's only been seven games, and it's still a relatively small sample size. I'd like to see it more so like, you know, 15 to 20 games or so I understand there's going to be you know 15 run games I understand there's going to be no run games I get that but generally speaking before this homestand this Red Sox offense I thought was quite inconsistent however over the past seven games they've been quite 
consistent on a regular basis over the course of those seven games against the Yankees and the Royals. Now, like I said, it's only seven and it's a small sample size. And they're going to be going up against a good, tough Oakland Athletics team in Oakland starting today. First pitch at 940 and then over the weekend into 4th of July. Then they have the Los Angeles Angels also out in L.A. Well, I guess in Anaheim technically. And then they come home for a series against the Philadelphia Phillies wrapping up before the All-Star break. I would really like to take this seven-game series, the seven-game home series that we just had, that sample size, and also throw in the A's, Angels, and that Phillies series and just really kind of mush it all together into a good, nice, let's see, 7, 10, 13, 16-game sample size, basically from the end of June all the way up into the All-Star break, kind of going into the trade deadline where that's going to start to get heated up, which we will be talking about little in a little bit, of course. And then also as the rest of summer kind of plays out as well. It's, it's interesting. It really is because every offense, every team goes through this, both hitting and uh, hitting and pitching. They go through their lulls and they go through their, you know, fantastic play, whether it's the worst team or the best team, they all go through it. And only the best of the best teams are able to be consistent on some degree. You look at the Houston Astros. They, like, wrecked, wrecked the month of June, like the end of May and, like, the month of June. However, they're now 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. They have a game-and-a-half lead on the Athletics for the AL West. However, the Athletics are also 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. And then the Mariners, who no one really kind of thought of being a potential contender, in the American League West, or even in the wild card, they're seven and three in their last ten games. Only six games out of first place there. Uh, let me check the MLB wild card standings, which this link doesn't show me. Uh, come on, here we go, here we go. And the Mariners are still six games out there as well. So they're kind of quite in it. And at the beginning of the season, I don't think anybody really expected the Mariners to be making some subtle noise. I don't think so no one really expected the Yankees to be nine games out of first place two games above 500 this late into the season I don't think that I think a lot of people didn't see the twins being 33 and 46 14 and a half games back it's just baseball that's just the way it is good teams will have good time or good moments I should say good teams will even have bad moments vice versa for the bad teams they'll have good moments and they'll have bad moments I still think Ultimately, although the Mariners are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, I still think they're far from being a contender. However, I guess you could kind of claim them as a mediocre team just going through a good stretch of baseball. And you could look at the New York Yankees who are 4-6 and six in their last 10. Although they are getting poor performance and they're suffering through injuries, I would still say that they're a relatively good team just going through a bad moment. Now, could this Yankees team just be actually that bad? And they just have good names on the team. Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Garrett Cole. And they're just kind of sucking. Like, do they just suck now? I mean, I guess. I guess players, too, go through good times and bad times just like teams do. And I guess bad players go through good times and bad times as well. I, I just think it's a little bit more challenging or I guess a little bit more uncommon for a player to go through such a thing. But you see players all the time. They'll like one season they'll hit 42 home runs, even though they're more of a 20 home run kind of guy. And then after that 42 home run season, they'll go down to like 25, and then they'll go down to 17, and then nine, and then they're out of the league. So it happens. It absolutely happens. And baseball is just one of those crazy sports where a lot of unpredictability can happen. I mean, a lot of people had the Angels being serious contenders in the American League West and also in the wild card. They're nine games out of first place there, being 39 and 41, as they are also nine games out of first uh, the wild card spot. It just happens. That's just baseball. And with the trade deadline coming up, you're going to really start to see what teams think that their contenders really push their chips into the pile or into the pot. Let's keep it, you know, casino term consistent, right? And say, we're contenders this year. We're going to make a splash and try to go out and win this thing, being the World Series, of course. I guess if you want to look at the National League, the Nationals, who a lot of people thought were sellers, the way that they were going with their 7-3 in their last 10 games, 
only two games out of first place for the uh, National League East, two games behind the Mets. Like I said, a lot of people probably had them being fourth or fifth this year in the division. A lot of people had them being sellers, trading Max Scherzer especially. However, the way things have been going for the Nationals, and although Max Scherzer is on his last year of his contract, might as well try to go out and win this damn thing, right? Uh, you, you look at the Braves, they're three and a half games out. The Phillies, they're four and a half games out. Both teams that people had being competitive in the National League East. You look at the St. Louis Cardinals, they're nine games out. A lot of people picked them to win the division because they traded for Nolan Arenado. However, they're nine games out of first place. And the Brewers are really separating themselves. They're nine and one in their last 10 games. How many people picked the Brewers? to go out and win this division this year. I'd say there's a handful of people, and I don't know the exact line for you know preseason betting in all preseason lines, but I would probably put my money on that. A lot of people picked the Cardinals, the maybe the Cardinals, the Cubs, and then maybe the Reds and the Brewers kind of in the same category. Obviously not the Pirates. Still. Let's not just go there. And then you look at the San Francisco Giants. Half a game up on the Dodgers, two and a half games up on the Padres. Who saw that coming? best record in baseball for some time now, winning percentage-wise, not win total-wise. But who saw that coming? Who? So baseball, every year, there's one team that people really didn't expect, and they go out and fall out. There's also years that teams are expected to do good, and they suck. And baseball in 2021 is absolutely no different to that. Or, yeah, no different to that. And the Red Sox being able to perform the way that they're performing is definitely exceeding a lot of expectations because I believe Vegas had the Red Sox as like a 79 or an 80 win team, some something like that. And I, I mean, I don't know what their win pace currently is, but they're at 51. They are 28 wins away from that expectation total. I would even arguably say that mid 90s, low one. I don't want to say low 100s, but mid 90s to upper 90s is within well within range for this team, seeing that they just past the halfway point in terms of games played I know the all-star break is a little bit technically past the midway point of the season the Red Sox have played currently 82 games 81 would have been the halfway point so we're just there let's just call for argument's sake there and the Red Sox are definitely exceeding expectations for a lot of people they will be buyers at this trade deadline it's just a matter of who they want to go out and acquire and I think a lot of teams are going to be in that position as well. Obviously, COVID-19 is still having impacts on Major League Baseball in terms of who teams want to go out and pay for. The Red Sox obviously are a team that is trying to stay under this, uh, the luxury tax, and I think they're doing a relatively good job at being competitive and doing so. A lot of teams like the Yankees or the, the Dodgers, they'll just go over and not give two flying shits about it. I respect it. The Red Sox were that team for a long period of time. However, the Red Sox have decided to take a more financial-focused approach, hence why they traded Mookie Betts, hence why they traded Andrew Benintendi, probably why they traded David Price, even though they're paying half of that contract still. It's really th This trade deadline this trade deadline season is going to be quite, quite intriguing and interesting for several reasons. We're going to see which teams think that they're competitors. They're going to show. We're going to see which teams are sellers and that are kind of caving in and giving up on the season by trading their good players away. And we're going to see which players are valued by these teams because you know the top names in baseball, the Mike Trouts, the Jacob deGroms, the, the, the Fernando Tatis Juniors of the world, the Chris Sales of the world. We know those big names, right? Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts. We know all those names. However, the Blue Jays just made a trade with the Miami Marlins, where they went out and acquired Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber from the Marlins in exchange for infielder Joe Panic and minor league reliever Andrew McInvale. McInvale, I'm going to kind of go with that. But we obviously see the Blue Jays, they highly value Corey Dickerson, who's had some ups and downs, and then Adam Simber, who is a right-handed sidearm specialist, per se. So the Blue Jays are trying to go out and make some moves already, by acquiring they're eight and a half games out of first place in the American League East. However, if we look at the wild card, they're still eight and a half games back. Interesting. I mean, they have such a young 
core, a great nucleus, Bobachet, Kevin Biggio, of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's leading. I'm not sure about uh, the American League or if it's baseball in general, but in all-star voting, absolutely tremendous, and they're still a little bit ways away, but they're going out and making moves. That's just how it is. So teams that I expect. Now I'm going to go over an article outlining some headlines as we approach the trade deadline, which is now officially less than a month away, of players or teams that we could see being moved or in action. So players being moved and teams in action. But before I read that, which I haven't looked at it yet, I know the Red Sox will make a splash. The Tampa Bay Rays will make a splash. And the New York Yankees will make a splash one way or another. Now, I strongly believe that they will be buyers. I cannot see them not being buyers. But if I was the Yankees, if I was Brian Cashman, I would be sellers. I would. I I, I feel like that's going to tick off some Yankee fans, but I don't really think a lot of Yankee fans are listening to Murph's Boston sports talk, right? But hey, you never know. I think the White Sox will make a small splash. Maybe you see the Indians make a splash as well. Oakland Athletics, they oftentimes make a splash as well. And I I think the Texas Rangers will move Joey Gallo. I don't think they'll make any other moves besides that. They could trade Kyle Gibson, who's had a fantastic season so far, which I'll go into in a bit. Um, Let's see. The Nationals, Max Scherzer. His name's been in the news a lot for potential trade. But they're two games out, like I mentioned a little bit ago. Are they really going to trade their ace when they're just two games out? of the the wild card and if we look at the uh the National League wild card hold on come on where's the National League wild card they're oh there's seven games out of there that's right because the Padres are are so good so it's going to be the division or nothing for that team uh where's the standings I want to go over the teams again let's see the Brewers have already made a trade acquiring Willie Adamas could they make another one for another shortstop talk about that in a second won't we Will the Cardinals, will the Reds or the Cubs make a move to try to, you know, continue to be competitive in that National League Central? Don't know. I think one of those teams will definitely go out and try to make a move. And then in the West, the Giants. I don't think the Giants have enough to hold off the Dodgers and the Padres. So I can see all three of those teams making big moves. And then the Rockies and the Diamondbacks probably trading Trevor Story from the Rockies. And then Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks. So... With just my initial thoughts about teams potentially making a play come the trade deadline or potential players we could see being moved, let's dive into this article, which actually was published today, July 2nd, 2021, and it was written by Matt Johnson titled, MLB Trade News Updates on Latest News Buzz During 2021 Season. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just kind of want to go over some of the headlines that Matt Johnson wrote about as we approach the trade deadline season. And of course, it's talking about how the Blue Jays are among teams interested in a top closer. And it goes into the deal that they just made with Miami Marlins. Adam Zimber is not a top closer. He's more of a, I don't want to say a gadget kind of reliever, but a specialist. He's, he's a sidearm guy. All right. So the first one I want to really talk about is the Oakland Athletics won't pursue Trevor Story. Now, I don't know if I believe this or not. I really do not believe this. Because they traded for Elvis Andrews this offseason with the Texas Rangers by trading uh, Chris Davis, right? Crush Davis. I just don't think that's been really working out for them. They still need another bat in that lineup to go alongside Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. You throw in Trevor Story, it will solidify the middle of that infield and it will give you another bat that you can plug in the middle of your lineup. You will have such a great defensive infield with Matt Olson with Matt Chapman at third base, and then Trevor Story at shortstop, no ball will leave that infield with those three guys there. And then, like I said, they need a little extra juice in that lineup to compete with teams like the Houston Astros being in that division because those Astros, they can still hit tremendously well. They can still pitch very, very well. And if the Athletics want any chance to be competitive in the American League West and dethrone the Houston Astros, I strongly believe that this is a move that they need to go out and make. If they want to settle for the the wild card, sure, they're tied with the Rays for the top seed top seeded wild card. But then you got the Indians, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays knocking at the door for that second seed. 
So I just don't really think I believe that. I know Trevor Story will be a free agent at the end of the year, so it's going to be a big-time rental for them. However, I think this is a rental piece pursuing, especially with that team, how it is formulated now. The Athletics are in a rather win-now kind of mode. It's just the Astros are just a huge roadblock. And bringing in a Trevor Story will kind of help move that roadblock. Next, our uh, headline is Max Scherzer likely to stay put, which I've already talked about. I've already kind of mentioned this where a couple weeks ago, Max Scherzer would definitely be a top trade candidate for the Nationals to move. However, with them being only two games out, being very competitive and contending in that National League East makes no sense. It makes absolute no sense for them to move on from him unless between now and the trade deadline, the Nationals just fall off the face of the earth. And with the Nationals being 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, only two games out of first place, like I've mentioned, I just don't know if that's something that could happen because the, Na- the Nationals are a really good, solid team. You know, up and down. Juan Soto, uh, Trey Turner, Ryan Zimmerman, the longtime National is still there. Obviously, they have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, so they have a lot of good pieces there in D.C. Next one is Eduardo Escobar on the move. The second baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He is someone that's been heavily, heavily linked to both the Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees. However, we've also seen teams like the Milwaukee Brewers kind of slowly, slowly walk themselves into this potential sweepstakes for Escobar. He is a fantastic player with some versatility and someone like him, who I believe is a free agent at the end of this season, would be a tremendous little rental piece to help a team over the edge. With the injury to Nick Madrigal for the White Sox, Eduardo Escobar would be a great addition there to kind of help pick up where Madrigal would have been. And also for the Brewers, who have also struggled with their middle infield defense, hence why they went out and traded for Willie Adamas. They can plug in Eduardo Escobar and really probably nail the coffin for the National League Central. The Seattle Mariners third baseman Kyle Seager, a July trade candidate, is the next headline here by Matt Johnson. I just had to double check the name. I don't want to say the wrong name. I'll read you this little blurb here real quick before I kind of go into my initial thoughts. So Matt Johnson writes, while the Seattle Mariners have been a pleasant surprise this season, they aren't remotely good enough to compete for a American League wildcard spot. As a result, Kyle Seager is facing 11 consecutive seasons without ever appearing in a postseason game. Fortunately, another club might change that. Kyle Seager is a popular name circling in MLB trade rumors, especially with several clubs needing a third baseman, which is true, by the way. The 33-year-old contract does complicate matters a bit. He is owed $18 million this season, and there is a $15 million option for the 2022 season. If Seager is traded, that becomes a player option, he'd almost certainly exercise. But there is likely a desire to join a playoff contender so a team could negotiate a higher buyout this offseason to make a deal happen. While Seager wouldn't be an impact bat, he is a better he is better than a, what a few teams are throwing out in their lineups. So my immediate thought is, if the Mariners are going to concede on this season, which may be a smart idea, especially because they do have some young up-and-coming players, to still hit Major League Baseball probably next year and the year after that where they are more likely to be competitive, it wouldn't be a bad idea to get out of Kyle Seager's contract to use that money to potentially bring in other free agents because this free agent class is going to be okay and then next year's free agent class is going to be very good itself. However, teams, if the Mariners you uh, decide to trade Kyle Seager, I could see teams such as the Nationals going out to acquire him who they need a third baseman. The Atlanta Braves could use a third baseman, although they do have Austin Riley, the great young rookie right there, but he has been kind of struggling hitting 253 at third base. However, are they going to want to kind of mess up his development by bringing in, I don't want to say a rental, but a player who's not in his prime, not part of the big picture. I just don't know about that. And then obviously we see the Brewers here who could use him as well. Luis Urias has been their main third baseman. They also have Travis Shaw. But would they wouldn't mind the nice bat in Kyle Seager. Uh, he's a nice left-handed bat. Makes a lot of sense there as well. The rich get richer, however, well, in Milwaukee, I would say. But is Kyle Seager going to really throw you over the top? I doubt it. 
I don't really see the Reds going after him. The Blue Jays maybe, but they have Kevin Biggio over there, and I doubt they want to kind of, uh, you know, implicate his development anymore because he is part of the big future for the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Kyle Seager, the Kyle Seager one's a little bit of an interesting tidbit here. I just don't really know what team's going to value him all too much because, yes, he is hitting two eight, uh, 219 this year with 14 home runs. And the 14 home runs might be nice, but the 219 hitting, is he really going to make an impact? I, I don't really know. Plus, the money costs a lot. If anything, the Mariners will get low prospects back, low-rated prospects back. And if that's something that they want, then sure. Because I guess a team could use you know Kyle Seager maybe off the bench, kind of in a platoon role. I don't know. I just don't know what team would really kind of find that valuable for you know a player like Kyle Seager. So the next one... Is and we have one, two, three. Actually, I already talked about the White Sox and Eduardo Escobar, so I guess only two more topics left. The Milwaukee Brewers may still explore a Trevor Story trade. Now, for a long time, Trevor Story has been linked to the Oakland Athletics. However, the Milwaukee Brewers, like I mentioned, are kind of throwing their hat in the ring here. They did just trade for Willie Adamas. However, if you're taking, if you're picking a shortstop, you're going to pick Trevor Story over Willie Adamas. 10 times out of 10, correct? Thank you. It's just be another thing where the Milwaukee Brewers will solidify themselves as the National League Central champions for this coming season or when this season ends. I don't know if that's a move that they would really want to make. I would totally see it happening, and they would really make a big splash, and they would really kind of make them a serious contender for the National League. Obviously, you still have the Mets, you still have the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres, but the Brewers with Trevor Story in that lineup as well, that's kind of scary. Almost as scary, I think, almost as scary as the Athletics having uh, Trevor Story in their lineup as well. I absolutely expect Trevor Story to be moved. He's a free agent at the end of the season. The Colorado Rockies want to get something in return, whether it may be just a Manny Machado-like return. However, they will want something. And I think they will move him because that is a smart thing to do, especially in the state that the Brewers are in. I mean, it's not the Brewers, I'm sorry. The Rockies are in as they are in rebuilding mode. Lastly, the New York Yankees to pursue a Jose Barrios trade. Jose Barrios is a great young pitcher for the Minnesota Twins who are severely underperforming this year. I picked them to win the American League Central. However, that is not going to happen whatsoever. And would the Twins be likely to trade some pieces off? Yes, I could see that. I don't think they would trade Jose Barrios, Barrios, though. I could see them trading maybe a Kenta Maeda and Nelson Cruz, maybe even Josh Donaldson. I could see those kind of players, their older players being moved, especially where the season for them is a wash. I don't really think they want to touch their younger players, such as Barrios being a great, uh, good young ace that he is going to become. Barrios is under contract through the 2022 season. And yes, the Twins could get a massive haul for Barrios from the Yankees. But if you see yourself, or at the beginning of the season, you saw yourself as a competitor, as a World Series contender, and you've had some ups and downs, some injuries and underperformances, why would you really want to touch your young nucleus, your young nucleus or your major core of this team? And Barrios is part of that. Now, like I said, the Yankees could go out and trade for him it would be a massive haul and a couple weeks ago they were also linked to Max Scherzer Kyle Gibson of the Texas Rangers who's linked to a lot of teams as well where the the, uh, the Rangers aren't going anywhere so I do think the Yankees will be buyers whether it's for Jose Barrios Kyle Gibson or whoever they will be buyers for a starting pitcher for sure although I don't think that is the correct move for them in their current state yes they're nine games out of first place yes they're five and a half games out of the wild card and they're still in it absolutely and it is the yankee way to go out and buy wins however is it the correct decision for this team i don't think so and i don't i wouldn't but i obviously i would understand the yankees going out and doing that and i just want to touch upon a couple things that's not listed in matt johnson's article is like i mentioned kyle gibson I could see him going to a plethora of teams who need a starting pitcher. The Yankees, like I mentioned, the Cubs, obviously the Red Sox wouldn't be a bad landing spot for him, especially where Garrett Richards has been struggling. 
let's just leave it at that. And also, Martin Perez has been super inconsistent. Eduardo Rodriguez had a nice start last time, but generally speaking, he has been a disappoint a disappointment this year. So bringing in Kyle Gibson, a rental piece, I believe, would not be a bad idea. He's pitching very well. He's like six and zero with like a two ERA or, or something like that. I would love to have that come in here and potentially be a a last piece to this team, especially in terms of the pitching. I would say, especially where you have Chris Sale on the horizon, and I'm not going to bank on Chris Sale being the savior of this team. I'm not going to bank on it, but it's definitely going to be a pleasant addition if he can pitch well. The last player I want to talk about is also on the Texas Rangers, and that's Joey Gallo, who I also briefly touched upon earlier. A lot of teams could use his bat. He's a big powerhouse bat, but on the flip side, he strikes out a lot. He would serve great as a versatile outfielder. He can play third. He can play first as well, but mainly he's in uh, right fielder. He won a gold glove there last year, but he spent a lot of time, I believe, in 2019 in center field. And then like the year before that in left field or whatever. So he's kind of moved around. He has a lot of versatility. However, Joey Gallo is definitely a name to keep your eye on with his contract up at the end of next year. I'm not exactly sure. Let me double check that contract. Um, let's see. When is Joey Gallo? He will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2022 season. So the end of next year, he's more than likely going to want a lot of money. However, for the rest of this year and next year, he has team control year and a half left of team control. Very, very appealing for a lot of players, especially team uh, players for teams, especially those teams that are in, uh, in contention and need a left-handed bat. Obviously, this league is well, well geared towards right-handed hitters now that all the lefties get shifts nowadays. You don't see as many for right-handed hitters. However, Joey Gallo, like I mentioned, is a home run or bust kind of guy, but the versatility in the outfield, and I guess he can splash a little bit at third and first if absolutely needed, would be a great piece for a lot of, lot of teams, the Red Sox included. So that is my trade deadline update segment session whatever you want to call it i think a lot of pieces will be moved i think a lot of teams will be in action come the trade deadline and leading up to said trade deadline which is july 31st and july 31st is a saturday i'm really intrigued to see which teams will make their presence known as contenders and which teams will kind of concede on this season I really hope the Red Sox go out and make at least two moves, and one of them is a left-handed outfield bat that I've been mentioning. Obviously, uh, Joey Gallo would be a great fit for that role. However, if you bring in Joey Gallo, he's going to be more of a starter. However, you put Verdugo in center, and then you put Gallo in left, or you can put Gallo in center, and then you move Kike to second base. Wouldn't mind that at all, and then you can just have the versatility of Kike Hernandez you know, just being primarily your second baseman as your outfield would be a little bit more solidified with a big player big bat in Joey Gallo one player oh I want to talk about this real quick before before I close this trade deadline segment one player I forgot to mention Starling Marte the uh, the Miami Marlins has been having a good season for himself down in Miami I could also see him on the move he is a right-handed bat and where Joey Gallo is a left-handed bat so whoever doesn't get Joey Gallo will more than likely be in the market for Starling Marte. I'll be very surprised to see Marte gone before Joey Gallo, unless a team is just really desperate just to get one of them. And if you know they're not able to match or kind of put the offer together that the Rangers are looking for for Gallo, they might just be like, all right, we'll get the older veteran who's played just as well and can make a serious impact for this team could also see that happening. So keep an eye on Starling Marte for the Miami Marlins as well as we get closer and closer and closer to the trade deadline, which is one of my favorite times of the year. Oh, I love trade deadline season. I really, really do. But as we kind of finish talking about the trade deadline, I did talk about this just ever so briefly at the beginning of this episode, and that was... Major League Baseball and a potential lockout 
where the current CBA agreement expires at the end of this year. And a lot of people out there in the world of baseball, myself included, strongly believe there will be a stoppage of play come the 2022 Major League Baseball season. And here's why. On this podcast, a million and one times, I've talked about ways that Major League Baseball could improve itself to be a overall better product, a better game. Pace of play, this rule, that rule, length, uh, shortening the season, prolonging the playoffs. I'm not going to bore your heads off and talk about my million, one, uh, million reasons on why I think baseball is a dying sport. However, I do want to talk about two big components of why we could see a work stoppage in Major League Baseball. Teams reducing their spending. We've seen this for years in especially baseball and then obviously over the past decade in basketball. We've seen it recently over the past decade in football. And I don't really think we've seen it all too much in hockey because I believe in hockey there's a floor. In football there's also a floor where you have to spend a minimum amount of money. I don't know about I don't know about uh, basketball. And I don't believe baseball has a floor either because you see the Tampa Bay Rays like spending like $35, $40 million yearly for their salary. But anyways, anyways, teams reducing their spending. You look at teams. Oh, I just had the major league standings up. Uh, Let me bring up the, let me, that's not the right link. Let me bring back up the standings because I want to point out a few teams. So we've seen the teams like the Baltimore Orioles, the Detroit Tigers, most recently, Kansas City Royals, the Texas Rangers, the Miami Marlins, the Pirates, and the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Those are just kind of the few teams I want to point out. Have been primarily the bottom of the league for a long period of time. Now, these teams in the past have had tremendous winning seasons, whether it's winning the World Series or being strong playoff contenders at times. However, most recently, these teams have usually been in the bottom of the barrel. Sometimes they'll finish 30th, sometimes they'll finish 22nd, sometimes they'll finish 28th, whatever. The teams that finish towards the bottom of the barrel or know that they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel, hence they're in a rebuilding year or rebuilding mode, won't go out and spend the big bucks. Let's say player A is a free agent. He wants 10 years for $300 million. Let's just work with me here. Team A, the Red Sox, team, uh, yeah, let's go. The Red Sox, the Tigers, and the Texas Rangers are all in the market for this player, okay? Red Sox are a win-now kind of a team. They are competitive. They want to win World Series. Baltimore Orioles, uh, actually, no, the Orioles weren't in this equation. The Detroit Tigers, they are a team with up-and-coming prospects, However, they are not in win-now mode. We could potentially see them be contenders maybe next year when their players get a little bit more developed and definitely come 2023. The Texas Rangers, probably in the same boat. Not competitive this year. Not in win-now mode. Wait for their prospects to develop a little bit more in 2022. And we could even see them be competitive in 2023. However, I think the Rangers are a little bit far more off. Which team is more likely going to sign player? or player A, that wants 10 years for $300 million. In this scenario, it's the Red Sox, because the Rangers nor the Detroit Tigers want to invest that kind of money in this player, $30 million a year, where they're not going to really make an impact on this team for the first couple seasons. Hence, why the Red Sox are more apt to sign this player, because that player will make an immediate impact on this team. Now, I will say that there is one outlier that I can think of in recent times, and that is the San Diego Padres going out and uh, signing Eric Hosmer from the Kansas City Royals. Eric Hosmer signed a big deal. I don't know the exact numbers, nor do I really care. However, he signed with the Padres, I believe, at the end of the 2017 or I believe the end of 2017. So 2018 was his first year or 2017 was his first year, whatever it was. And it was like a question mark because Eric Hosmer, you know, all-star, Gold Glove Award winner, World Series winner, of course, leaving the Royals to go to the Padres. But the Padres threw a bunch of money at him. But they had a vision in mind. And the Padres front-loaded that contract. So most of that money was due towards the beginning. 
hence where they weren't all too competitive. So come the time that they were competitive, when they, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. comes up, where Chris Paddock, you know, develops, that money on Eric Hosmer's contract won't be as restricting. Then they go out and sign Manny Machado, and now this team has a young, great nucleus, plus they went out and signed big-time free agents. That is really the only team in recent history that I can think that have basically done it that way. And basically gone out, gotten free agents while they sucked. But then, you know, they had their young core come up, they made some trades, and now they're good. However, 9 out of 10 times you see teams pass on expensive free agents. Look at Manny Machado, look at um, Bryce Harper. They were free agents for a long time. Even Craig Kimbrell was a free agent for a long time before he signed with the Cubs. Because a lot of teams didn't want to pay. Because a lot of teams were in kind of a rebuilding mode. Hence, you you kind of see the Phillies, you know, like, oh, he's kind of still on the market. Let's go get him. Manny Machado was still on the market. Hey, let's go get him. Not, you know, not, no team is giving him that money. So let's go give him some money. It's just when you have a team like the Tigers and the Rangers or the Pirates, the Marlins, pass on good young or good younger players but want more money because those teams know that they suck and that player won't have an impact on them for the first couple seasons of that contract. It's kind of disappointing because what's the point of signing anybody then for short-term contracts or even long-term contracts if you don't think they're going to make an impact you're just banking on unproven players to develop it's why you see the Detroit Tigers the Pirates the Marlins the Diamondbacks the Rockies the Orioles the Rangers they've struggled for years on end now because they're banking on young talent to come through the system they're banking on the draft with their high draft spot to develop and be they're homegrown superstars. Sometimes that works out. I think most recently that probably worked out for the the Houston Astros when they first transitioned to the American League. They weren't that good yet, and then they kind of blossomed when George Springer, Jose Altuve, they kind of grew. And then you see um, Alex Bregman as well come up through the system. You could kind of say that the Padres fit that bill as well, but they went out and signed Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado. They made some trades. So I don't really count that. So if baseball has a floor of spending, which they currently don't, I think that would force teams' hands to like, huh, well, this guy wants, you know, five, six years. We're not going to be competitive for two. But, you know, come that third year, we're going to have them. We're going to have our young guys. It makes, it'll kind of make sense, especially, I don't know what the floor would be, 50 million, 60 million. Just something so that every team is competitive because year in and year out, the Orioles, the Tigers, the Rangers, the Pirates, the Marlins, and the Diamondbacks, and sometimes the Rockies, more often than not the Rockies, they suck. They suck. The Royals suck. The Mariners suck, even though the Mariners are kind of doing good this year, which we've already talked about. You don't want to see teams suck year in and year out and bank on that long process of rebuilding, going through the farm system, like, you know, People are joking about that there should be a uh, delegation at the end of the season where the worst team of, you know, Major League Baseball gets replaced by the best team in AAA. I think that's well far-fetched. That's more of a Euro soccer thing. However, I just don't see it happening in baseball, and these teams will continue to be non-competitive until their prospects show and thrive where they will be competitive that way. And then they'll go out and make the moves. Not they, they won't go out and make the moves before the competitive. So having a floor spending, I think, would be a very good idea for baseball. So more teams are competitive at once because oftentimes there'll be a year where just a handful of teams are competitive and then everyone else sucks. There's really no more mediocre anymore in baseball. You're either good and contending or you suck and you're looking at next year. And then the second point, I want to, I know that was a big long point, right? About work stoppage in baseball for 2022. The second one is league rules. League rules. I'm not going to go into that because I've talked about the pitch clock. I've talked about the pace of play. But one league rule that I really haven't talked about, and I actually thought about it the other day before, obviously, before this article came out, is that 
baseball has a messed up system when it comes to service time for players. So for those that aren't familiar, the way Major League Baseball service time works is when you're called up to the big leagues, you basically have three years of your contract being renewed because just because you're called up doesn't mean you're going to work out. Okay, you see uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you see Bo Bichette, Rafael Devers for a little bit. They'll get called up and their contracts will be renewed for three years and then they'll enter a point called arbitration, which is also a three-year process where the team... Well, first of all, renewal, contract renewal is basically like $600,000 because you're technically still considered a prospect even though you're playing and maybe playing very well in your first couple seasons as a big league pro. However, you're still contract renewable for three, your first three years, your first three years once you reach Major League Baseball, day one, okay? After those three contract renewable years are up, you then enter a point called arbitration. Now, arbitration is a dumb system, I believe in my mind, where say you perform and you your stats are your stats, whatever they are, you and your agent will come up with the number that they that you guys think you're worth. Then the team, let's go with the Red Sox, will come up with the number and they will decide on a number that they think you're worth based off of your previous season statistics. Both of those numbers from you and your agent and the Red Sox camp will submit those numbers to Major League Baseball and a moderator will decide which number is more fair. So let's let's go with you submit that you're worth $10 million and the Red Sox submit that you're worth $5 million. Now, if the arbitrator feels that Ooh, $10 million is a little too much for going 4-8 and eight with a 4.5 ERA. Then they're going to lean towards the Red Sox and be like, you're worth $5 million this year. And then also vice versa, if you submit that you're worth $10 million and the Red Sox submit that you're worth 5 and you go 13-2 and two with a 2.2 ERA, they're going to say, well, you're not worth $5 million. You're definitely worth $10 million. So your next year's salary is basically determined by a third-party moderator, which doesn't necessarily work in your favor, which I believe is very unfair because if you are, say, 7-7 seven and seven with a 3.9 ERA and you kind of say, oh, I'm worth $7 million, but the team says you're worth $3 million, well, neither number really kind of fits, so they're probably going to lean towards the team. My opinion. However, that system is just all crooked and so fraud so therefore, if you do the math, you need three years of contract renewability and then three years of arbitration, which is six years total before you hit the open market to make the big bucks. We've seen recently Mookie Betts break records for arbitration, want like getting $30 million. I believe when Donaldson was at the top of his game with the Blue Jays, he got like 25, which was a record at that time. But that's just one year deal. And we know in all sports, not just in baseball, but in all sports, all it takes is one injury for your career to never be the same again or for you to never play a damn uh, out, never play a pitch again, never play uh, a snap, a, a dribble, whatever sport it may be. Again, right? We all know that those injuries are out there and they can happen at any moment. So to have to wait six years, now a lot of players won't get called up till they're like 21, 2. I think a lot of players are getting called up much younger now. So let's just call it 22. You have to wait till the end of your age 28 season for you to get a long-term contract and make the big bucks. And a long-term contract, probably 10 years maybe for X amount of million, that's going to put you to 38. Obviously, you'd kind of like that long-term stability. However, the majority of that 10-year contract is going to be you playing the wrong side of 30, which could kind of fear away teams from signing you to that big 10-year contract extension. However, if you're a top 10 player in all of baseball, like Mookie Betts, Dodgers aren't going to care. So to have to go through three years of renewal, renewability, three years of arbitration for a six-year total before you hit the open market, which Trevor Story will be after his six years of team control, then... He's going to, going to get the big bucks on the open market, which I think is an absolutely flawed system that heavily favors the team because that team has six years of renewability for you, which 
I guess is fair to them and not fair to you. And I cannot see Major League Baseball Players Union agreeing to that. Again, no way, shape, or form. I strongly believe that the contract renewability is a fair system because just because you call up a prospect, your your number one prospect, doesn't mean they're going to pan out. Doesn't mean they're going to be the next Mike Trout. Like they could still need some time, more time to develop. You call them up for sixty games, you bring them back down, and wait till next season. You see them again, and then you might have to do that twice until they're actually a good player. I think that there should be three years of renewability. However, the renewability should be not six hundred thousand. I mean, maybe a million. That seems fair. That's just my opinion about this whole service time manipulation that the league has with its players. And this is definitely going to be a major reason why we could see a strike in Major League Baseball at the end of this season that would put a work stoppage to the 2022 Major League Baseball season. I'm a firm believer in that, among many other reasons, such as pace of play, um, uh, teams reducing their spending, Obviously, the service time manipulation, pitch clock, games played, the schedule. It's just a million things that, you know, the roster size, the playoff format. A lot of things are going to be on the table come this offseason that's going to have to be discussed. Some people out there don't think that there will be a work stoppage and that this will get decided. I mean, look at football most recently. Their CBA agreement got decided and it did take some time, but it was eventually decided. And in there was a 17th game for the regular season. I don't know what to expect from Major League Baseball and the Players Union on this one. I just hope there is some changes that will only better the sport of baseball because overall, I think baseball desperately needs it and they cannot go another 10 years with the same mindset, yeah, mindset, uh, frame of work, etc., etc. So, I guess there is a giant segment of me ranting about baseball. All right, I ranted it about the Red Sox. I've ranted about the Patriots, the Bruins, and the Celtics. I've done it all, and I did baseball this time. Maybe, you know, come time, you know, towards the fall, I'll do a rant about football in the NFL, basketball in the NBA, and hockey in the NHL. Maybe, who knows? But I think baseball being at the forefront of sports right now, obviously with the Olympics on the horizon. However, right now it is still baseball because uh, basketball is not done, no, but the Celtics are out. Hockey is not done, no, but the Bruins are out. Football, the deadest time of the year for that sport. Really all we got is uh, baseball right now. And we're going to talk anything and everything about baseball that we possibly can on this podcast until other headlines pop up. And I think that this is a major headline that popped up that will directly impact baseball and the Boston Red Sox for the next 10 years because that's how long those agreements are. So thank you so much for bearing with me for this long, I don't want to say it was a long episode, but this long rant that I just went on about Major League Baseball and their collective bargaining agreement. Obviously, we talked about some trade deadline candidates and teams that we could see make splashes come this season, this year's trade season. And then also I touched upon the Red Sox and their latest success. I'm still going to be highly looking forward to their series against the A's, the Angels, and of course the Philadelphia Phillies to wrap up the first half of the season. They're currently on a 7-0 winning streak. I would like to see them... Let's see, they're playing nine more games. 7-2, and two, I think, in a perfect world would be nice. The A's is going to be a tough one. Angels, I don't see being too tough. And the Phillies could be problematic, I would say. Could be. 6-3 and three is probably realistic, but 7-2 and two would be ideal. So let's shoot for that. But folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Episode number 70 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. You can reach me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Yes, Sports Talk. I ran out of characters in my username handle, so I had to kind of abbreviate Sports Talk there. I appreciate everyone downloading, listening, and enjoying on those audio-only platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever it may be. And if you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube, I would really appreciate you liking this episode. Hit that big red subscribe button if you haven't already or if you're new to the channel. And also comment down below if you don't feel like reaching out to me on social media. Either one works for me. So that's going to do it. 
I want to hear your thoughts and opinions about everything that we talked about or maybe something that you are looking forward to for the Red Sox, maybe some trade candidates that I didn't touch upon that you'd like to bring to my attention and talk about, or maybe a team that we, a sneaky team that we could see at the deadline make a move, whether it's a buying move or a selling move. Let's have a conversation, discussion, a chatter, a debate, maybe even an argument. Who knows? But folks, that's going to do it for today's gloomy, rainy episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. It's going to be a wet weekend, so try to stay dry, try to stay warm or cool, because right now it's a little chilly here in the Rhode Island area after a blazing hot week. However, wherever you are, try to enjoy your weekend as best as possible, and I will catch you for Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between, between now and then, you know that I love you. And you know, you know, I will always, always see ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.